Welcome to She Will Not Fall, a space dedicated to women who are daring to reimagine and redefine their faith, their gift, their call, and how they're presenting them to the world. I'm your host, Marielle, and as I always say, it is so great to be back into the sacred space with you. Listen, if you haven't already, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at She Will Not Fall Collective. Again, She Will Not Fall Collective. And if you would be kind enough and would be generous enough to want to contribute financially to the podcast, you can go to patreon.com backslash I am Mariel T. I'm about to do some cool things over on Patreon. So go ahead and join the Patreon community. Uh, and if you're like, well, I can't do that. What is a free way I can support you? We always love for you to leave a review. Um, you can rate the podcast. Um, and if you could share it, that'd be awesome. It really is helpful for people to find us. Listen, we have another amazing episode. Today, I sit down and talk to Reverend Lauren Harris. Um, we walk through her story, we walk through her evolution, we walk through her journey, and just the things um, that she is working on now and the things that she's hoping to do in the future. Um, I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. Um, and y'all, look, we only have like a couple of more episodes before the end of the season. That's crazy. Season one is almost complete. Um, I have a couple of more, couple more amazing women to introduce you to. Um, Reverend Lauren definitely falls into that category of being an incredible and amazing woman. So, you know what I say. I'm not going to delay any further. So sit back, relax, and let's hear this week why Reverend Lauren will not fall. All right, here we are. So, Reverend Lauren, thank you so much for being on the podcast, um, for being willing to just kind of share your story and your journey. Um, definitely, when I was making my list, you were like one of the tops. <laughs> I was like, I really want to talk to her. Thank um, you. Because I've seen just a small snippet of your story, and I was like, absolutely, yes. So, got to have her on. So, around here, we take from the popular social media trend, how it started versus how it's going. So we're gonna start with how it started. So just kind of walk us through your story and just introduce us to who you are. Okay, I'm gonna to try to be have the condensed version, but um, how it started was, um, I didn't really grow up in church. I lived with my mom, she was a single mother, and I think she was kind of searching for where she could find like a home in church. And so we visited a number of churches, like we were in uh, Episcopalian churches, Baptist churches, um, AME churches, um, but we never went to church consistently, but she tried to like instill that, that faith, you know, foundation in us growing up. So, um, we didn't go to church every um, Sunday, though. It wasn't until I went to go live with my father in New Jersey when I was 16 years old. I finished out my last two years of high school with my dad in New Jersey. And my dad is a minister of music. And so he was really involved in the church. Um, I found out that his father, my grandfather, was an AME pastor. And he has a lot of um, AME pastors on his side of the family. So that's when I really started to um, re like establish some roots in church. 
Um, and so because my dad was a minister of music, the pastor would be at our house all the time. Uh, my dad would try to force me to be like in the child, the youth choir, <laughs> even though I can't sing. But it, that was the first time I ever met like a female pastor and um, really started to get involved in church. So um, that really made an impression on me as a high school student. But when I went to college, I just I did away with all that. <laughs> I mean, I got saved when I was a kid, but I only got saved because they told us that if we didn't get saved, we were going to hell. So I was more so like, I am not trying to go to hell. So I was like, I want to be saved. You know, so I just did whatever they told me to do. It was a white church. It was an independent Baptist white church in Prince George's County, Maryland. I just got saved. But it didn't mean anything to me. I was just like, checklist. I'm not going to hell. <laughs> but when I went to college, I really um, started to wrestle and think about like Christianity and the United States and the African diaspora and what was our um, religion before we were taken to the United States. So I really became like really militant and really like searching for like my roots, my African roots. So when I was in college, I took classes like on the African slave trade. Um, I just wanted to know more. And I was very much into Eastern religion, like learning more about Eastern religion and spirituality. Um, but I didn't really have like a formal religion. I didn't go to church or read the Bible or anything like that. And um, when I was in college, people would always come up to me and try to convert me. And I would just argue them down. Like, don't bring that white Jesus over here, okay? You know, you're not gonna force that on me. <laughs> so that's how I was in college. I was just doing my thing, doing my own thing, trying to, you know, search to find out my identity, who I was, what does it mean to be, you know, someone in the African diaspora in the United States. Um, so that's where I was in college. Um, in college, I've, I met a guy <laughs> and I ended up living with him. We dated for four years. And so toward the end of our relationship, I just started feeling guilty. I started feeling like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know. And I was like, where is this going? We need to get married. And because I was so anxious about the relationship and feeling convicted about it, I started pressuring him about getting married and everything. Because even though I didn't have that like spiritual or faith connection to Christianity, I still kind of felt like this is wrong. I don't, I shouldn't be living with him, having premarital sex and all that stuff. So um, one night I had a dream. <laughs> this sounds so spooky. I had a dream, but <laughs> I had a dream and I woke up with watching you, therefore, for ye not know when the Son of Man cometh. That was all in my head when I woke up. And I was so scared. I was like, what is going on? And I didn't know that was from the Bible. I didn't know any of the Bible like that. Um, I didn't know. So I just knew that I was really scared. And so ultimately, that relationship ended. <laughs> and I was really devastated. And you know, even though I felt better, I didn't really have that conviction on me, you know, and that guilt, <laughs> that shame from living with my boyfriend. 
I still, I felt a little bit relieved, you know, but then I went to like my party phase, my club phase, like, hey, it's all about me and my girls. So, because I have been with the same guy all through college. So I had didn't really have that experience to date, to club and party. It was like I was married. And so me and my homegirls, we did like two years of just straight clubbing, just doing our thing, being down in D.C., you know, hanging out, dancing, having fun, just doing our thing. And um, in my early 20s, I just started to come to a place where that was starting to get tired for me. And um, I hated my job. (laughs) I worked in marketing at a company selling project management courses. And I was just like, I hate my job. I'm tired of clubbing and just, you know, dating around, hooking up. I was like, what is this all about? What is my life about? So again, I started to enter that searching mode and what is it all about? Like asking questions, just raising questions inside of myself. Like, why am I here? What's my purpose? I hate my job. I don't feel fulfilled. What? And then I really started asking God, like, why am I here? You know, what is going to make me feel like I'm actually making a contribution? And so... I still wasn't in church. I was still doing my thing, but I was entering this phase where I was just like, what am I here for? And so one night, me and my girls, we was out, we were out clubbing and uh, clubbing and drinking and having a good time dancing. And um, I had told my mother, my mother started getting involved in church again. And she got my little brother involved in church as a result. He's um, like 14 years younger than me. So he was 10 years old at the time and he had just joined the youth choir And I told my mom, my mom asked me to come to church with her to see my little brother sing in the choir. And I was like, okay, mom, whatever. But the night before I had been out all night, I partied all night till five in the morning. I came home five in the morning. I was like, oh gosh, I was tipsy. I was like, how am I going to do this? And um, I got in the shower at about 9 a.m. to get ready to go to church with my mom. And when I was in the shower, just like all these ideas started coming to my head about articles, um, about God and, you know, writing um, articles and different topics to youth about God. And I'm like, hmm, I just said to myself, like, where is this coming from? I'm tired and I'm drunk. (laughs) I was like, where is this coming from? And so right when I said, I was like, where is this coming from? The Lord said to me, the Lord was just like, I told you I would give you dynamic testimonies like that just dropped in my spirit. And I was like, what? And I was like, oh, my God, I must be dying. I saw something's about to happen to me. What is going on with me? And so I was wrestling with whether or not to tell my mother in the car. I was like, she's going to think I'm drunk. She's going to think I'm crazy. I ended up telling her anyway on the way to church. And then when we got to the church, the preacher has said everything that happened to me that morning. She was like, somebody in here, the Lord spoke to you. He told you what he wants you to do with your life. Now, how bad do you want it? And so when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, I know the Lord is talking to me. <laughs> yeah. And so I went to the altar and turned my life over the over to Christ. And even my little brother, he was 10 at the time. He came up to me and after the service and he was like, Lauren, did you hear that? God was talking to you. So it was like the Lord just solidified it. If I had any doubt in my mind that he, God was talking to me, that, you know, I just knew it. And that's when I really got back involved in church and Christianity 
and um, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to go into ordained ministry at the time. That call came later, of like a few months later after I really got involved in church. But I just turned my life over. Like it was just one night I was at the club. The next morning I was at the altar. Wow. <laughs> it literally oh happened like that. Oh my gosh. So you have this amazing experience and encounter and now your life is, is changed. So walk <laughs> me through, how did you know you were supposed to go into ordained ministry and what was that process like? So I did not know when God was first calling me that he wanted me to be like a reverend. I just knew that God wanted me to stop doing what I was doing, just living reckless, you know, just doing whatever I was doing and I knew that God wanted me to use the gifts that he had given me for his purposes. And so I got involved in church and because I was new, I didn't know any word. I didn't know anything about ministry. You know, how when you join a church, they pull you into everything, no matter what your gifts are. Yes. So <laughs> I started working with this homeless ministry called Master's Touch. And we would go to downtown DC and feed the homeless. And so one day I was with the Master's Touch. We were feeding the homeless. There was this guy um, who had been on drugs like all his life. And because he had been on drugs, he had like really severe tremors. It was almost like he had like a severe case of Parkinson's. He could not stay still. Like he was constantly shaking, could barely walk, could barely move. When I gave him the tray, it was like he was shaking it like that. And I was like, oh my God. And then one of the leaders of the ministry was like, yeah, he's come a long way. And I'm like, come a long way. He was like, yeah, he's been on drugs all his life, but he's come a long way. Well, after that day, like I could not shake the image of that guy from my head. And I just kept thinking about him, praying about him, you know, like, oh my gosh, like, you know, people are going through some real stuff. And, um, when I was praying and wrestling with that image, the Lord spoke to me again and was like, Lord, this is what the world looks like to me. The world looks like this man out of control, you know, shaky, all that stuff, wobbly, not stable. And God said to me, just like you fed that man the natural food, I want you to feed my people the spiritual food, the word of God. And so that's when I knew that God wanted me to go into ordained ministry. Like, I couldn't believe it. I emailed like everybody in the homeless ministry, like, oh my God, this is what the Lord said to me. You know, I was like, oh my God. I was still scared because I didn't really know any word or anything like that. It was just all these supernatural things were happening to me. And I was just being obedient. You know, I felt the Lord really pushing me. And then like a couple months later, I talked to my pastor about seminary. I didn't let him know that I was called. God was calling me. I just kind of slyly was like, what do you think about this Bible college? And he was like, why would you go to this Bible college? They don't believe in women in ministry. He was like, why don't you check out Howard? And I was like, okay. And then like, next thing you know, a month later, I'm enrolled in Howard School of Divinity. I was <laughs> in my mid twenties. So it just rolled in a matter of months. Like the Lord called me when I was 24 years old. And then it just rolled into me being an ordained minister and all that. And then eventually when I got enough courage up, 
I told my pastor, I feel like God's calling me to ministry and I joined the ministerial staff and that's where I've been ever since. Oh, yeah, that, <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> so we talked to some other people who are who went through seminary. Some of them are still in seminary and they talk about the pivotal moments of what seminary just kind of illuminated for them. Did you have that same experience even from a um a doctrinal sense so maybe you thought one thing and then you got in seminary and it was like i'm reconsidering this like uh -oh. did you experience that yeah <laughs> when i got to seminary i mean i really didn't know what to expect because i was unchurched i didn't grow up in church i just got back involved in church i didn't know bible or anything like that i just knew you know the traditional held beliefs of general you know black people in general you know we're generally conservative and we generally have these interpretations that we carry from generation to generation like if even if you don't go to church you've heard somebody in your family you know have these beliefs so when i got to seminary and then my professors you know were breaking down the scripture and you know all these different versions of stories and how <laughs> certain books of the bible were piece together, um, it just rocked my mind. And um, <laughs> I can remember the first semester, I went to my pastor and I was like, Pastor Washington, that was my pastor's name. I was like, they don't believe in Jesus? <laughs> Why am I here? You know, because every, they talking about myths, they talking about this version, that version, two creation stories and this interpretation and it just really rocked me and he was like don't worry about it he was like they're going to break it all down for you but by the end of your experience they're going to put it all back together for you mm -hmm. <laughs> and they did i mean it challenged me like one of the first things that challenged me in seminary of course was about homosexuality uh, my new testament professor was like look there's nothing in these texts that condemn homosexuality. They, he was like, they were talking about pedophilia, a man with a boy. And he was like, two consenting adults is not unbiblical. So that was like one of the first things that stands out in my mind that challenged me. And I was like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, so um, it challenged me, but you meet so many. I didn't go to a Bible college. Howard is a divinity school. So you're studying world religions. You're, you know, you're meeting so many different people from other faith traditions. Um, and so it like broadens your understanding and they introduce you to other theologians and different texts. And, you know, it just opens you up, you know, so you can take the shackles off those traditional beliefs that you've been shackled down by, you know, and you just, you, a whole new world opens up for you. You know, I know even though I wasn't, didn't grow up in church, I'm more so, I wrestled with God being like a condemning God. Like, why would God do this? Why would God do that? Yeah. And so, but once I went to seminary and learned that, you know, hey, the way the preachers have been telling you this, it may not be true. You know, and this is what it means. And it just opened up a whole new world for me. Yeah, that's been the consensus. Um, that has been the consensus. Mm -hmm. And so coming out of the 
what was the next step? Coming out of seminary, um, I did not feel called to pastor. Um, I ended up being ordained by the AME church. And that's because um, my mother at the time, you know, where my conversion experience happened was in the AME church. So I really felt like this is where I need to be right now. And so I ended up going through their five-year ordination process, but I didn't feel called to pastor. And so in AME churches, like they don't really have jobs per se for ministers that they ordain. So when I, I got out of seminary, I was looking for faith-based jobs. And so I ended up working at a faith-based nonprofit in Southeast DC called the Southeast White House. And I worked with children and youth and um, at-risk community, you know, the at-risk community doing program development. And I loved it. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Just being in the community, working with children, working with teens. And that was another eye-opening experience because um, I grew up with a single mother and we weren't necessarily middle-class. We were definitely working-class paycheck to paycheck. But my mom, she did whatever she could to make it seem like we had a middle-class lifestyle. Like she would get on this program, that program, so that we could have a house in this county and go to these schools. So I really did not grow up knowing like extreme poverty or circumstances. And then like working in Southeast DC with children and seeing like what they were going through, drugs and crime, injustice, um, heavy policing, all that. It was like an eye-opening experience. I really felt like God put me there for a reason. One, to open up my eyes to the suffering of other people. And then two, to just like, to do work, you know, to do some work in the community. So that's where I ended up. And um, over the years, I've done faith-based nonprofits. I've worked at a mega church. I was executive assistant to the pastor at a mega church for five years. That was eye-opening. <laughs> um, I've worked at a seminary. I was executive assistant to the dean. I've worked at a church in South Carolina. Um, I've just been all over the place. Now I work for um, the United Methodist Church and I um, do congregational development. So my road has been all over the place. And of course, I have like my own ministry endeavors like writing um, and serving in different ministries and church. But it's been a, a, a winding road. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, where did all, where are we now? And so, um, tell me a little bit more about what you personally work on, like what you decided, the causes that you decided to take on personally, and what you're writing about, and you know what inspired that. Well, as I said, when I started working in Southeast DC, it really opened up my eyes to a lot of the injustices that, you know, people without means have to deal with, um, Black people in particular. And so, you know, and as I said, when I was in college, I was really militant. Like, what about us? And that's another reason why I feel called to the AME church, because I'm like, I don't feel called to a multicultural church 
not that I'm not willing to work with different types of people, but I just feel called to help black people because, you know, of the oppression that we face. But um, when Mike Brown got killed, I really felt a strong call to just keep talking about the injustices that black people face, especially like police brutality and heavy policing. So I've written about that a lot. I've been really vocal about that a lot, especially in church. Um, I've preached about it. Um, even though, you know, those sermons may not be the ones uh, getting all the shout, shouts, but I just felt, I felt like a strong conviction. Like we need to talk about this. This is evil. We want to talk about the devil and evil. Well, these are injustices. This is evil that needs to be reconciled. And so um, when Khalif Browder killed himself, that hurt me so bad. Um, the next time my pastor asked me to preach about it, I preached about it. And um, some correctional officers actually came up to me after the service and was like, oh, your sermon really touched us. And I was like, I hope so. Because in the sermon, I talked about how there were so many people who could have helped him. But when he was at Rutgers Island, they abused him. So I've kind of like, you know, police brutality and injustices that marginalized people face. That's something that I like to write about. Um, I worked for a radio show called Interfaith Voices Radio Show. That kind of opened me up to the issues in the LGBTQ community and the issues that trans people face. That was like the first time I ever met a trans woman. And she shared with me a story that really impacted me and challenged me in my faith um, to the type of rhetoric, um, the dangerous and violent rhetoric that they receive from um, professed Christians. Um, and so that challenged me. So I talk about that as well. Um, and also a close family member of mine came out you know, as gay. And it really made me take a look at myself. And one of the reasons why he was afraid to come out was because of me. And so, because he knew that I was a minister, he knows the, the traditional beliefs of the AME church and all that stuff. And I saw the violence and the pain that that caused him. So that's something that I'm vocal about, even though I'm still learning you know, I'm still in the very much beginning phase learning. Um, and so those are a couple of issues. And then of course, um, my son is autistic. Um, he's high, highly functioning, but he's autistic. So having an autistic son, that made me think about people who have special needs and, you know, the issues that mothers and fathers and families face when they have children and teens young adults with special needs. And where's their place? Where's their place in the church? Where's their place in the kingdom? The gospel is good news for them. And are we reaching out to them? Do they feel at home with us? You know, so that's another issue that's close to my heart that I talk about being a mother of an autistic son and his future and creating a world. And that even links into the police brutality because I'm like, my son, what if my son doesn't respond to these types of commands? 
you're going to shoot my son because he's autistic. He's in his own world. He cannot hear you literally, even though he can hear, he can't hear you. And so he doesn't have that social consciousness. So it just all links together for me. And then of course I, I am a widow. My first husband died. And so that was like a pivotal moment in my faith walk, losing my husband. And, um, I write about grief a lot. I haven't written about grief in a long time, but I think it's coming back with COVID and everything. <laughs> you know, so many people are dying and so many people are in pain and grieving and fear, including myself, like in a lot of pain because of the pandemic. And so like writing about grief and what does it mean? And what does it mean to be grieving and still have like faith in God and still trust God mm. when you're broken? Yes. And so that's another cause that I guess, not that I've taken up, like I'm this activist. I don't consider myself an activist. I feel like my journey, God has allowed me to meet people. He's exposed me to things. God has shown me things. I have opened my eyes to things. The thing that I love is like, for me, the thread in like hearing your journey, your story is you've been open. like. You have been open to, like you would say, I'm at the beginning phases of learning, but I'm open and I'm willing to learn. Can I please tell you that everybody is not like, like, I mean, I'm open, even when I use the pronoun he for God, and I know God is a spirit and he and she and they, whatever, they don't even, you like no pronoun can possibly describe the God, the omnipotent God, but because of you know me learning from other people, different people from me, I'm like I need to start. I need to watch my pronouns. You know, God I can refer to God as he, she, they, them, because God is a spirit, <laughs> you know? and God can take on the identity of what you need God to be in a moment. Exactly. So sometimes I need God to be Father, and I need God yes. to be mother in this moment. You God know, God is my mother. God is my father. God is whatever God chooses to be. So even during this interview, I hear myself constantly saying he, I'm conscious of it. You know, that's something that I'm conscious of because I don't want people to feel excluded, you know, from the kingdom of God when they're not. And I feel like God has called somebody like me, somebody who denied God, somebody who totally rejected Christ with my mouth, <laughs> on many occasions. And I was just, a, I'm a, well, not I was, I am just a regular person. I was partying and clubbing and drinking and doing my own thing. But because of God's loving kindness, he chose to interact with me, you know, to reveal God's self to me, speak to me and give me a hope and a future like the Bible says. And it's not because I'm so special that's that hope in that future is for everybody. Yes. And so that's what I want people to know. That's where I am in my ministry. Like that hope in that future is for you. You're trans, that hope in that future is for you. You're black, that hope in that future is for you. You're poor, you're disabled, you're autistic. That hope in that future is for you. Yes. Oh. It's for you. <laughs> that's the word. <laughs> that's a word right there. It's for you. 
So for women who um, are kind of starting their journey, maybe kind of redefining, maybe trying to unlearn some things, being open to learn, um, with your story, what are what are some what's some advice you would give to women? You know, Kendrick Lamar is like one of my favorite rappers, right? And he has this song. It's either called Mama or it's called Home. And in one of the lines in that song, he says, he talks about this verse says, I know everything. I know this, I know that, I know everything. He just goes on all the things that he knows, right? And then the last line in the verse says, until I realized I didn't know ish the day I came home. Mm. And I'm like, that's so real. You you think you know things, but you don't know. Like this is a lifelong journey. That's advice that I would give somebody who feels like God is calling them to some work or um, some different, you know, a, a relationship with God or deepening their spirituality, their faith. This is a lifelong journey. And to just take it one day at a time, one experience at a time. And things that were true 20 years ago for you, it may not be true 20 years later. Um, I'm 42 years old now and things that were true to me when God called me when I was 24 are not true to me now. And that's okay. You know, God is not gonna give it. It all comes together. That's what I'm learning. It's all gonna come together. I mean, I'm not 100% there, but my faith, my faith is like, it's going to come together. So just be open, but be open for the journey because it is a journey. We don't call it a faith walk for nothing. You're walking with Christ and he's gonna walk you through all these life experiences and teach you lessons about God and the kingdom of God and what all this means. What I hear is show yourself some grace and don't be so hard on yourself. Just And don't feel like you have to know everything. Because you know, when you go into ministry and you got your little title and you got your little MDiv or whatever, and you feel like you have to have an answer for everything or you know everything and then Maybe you're not going to walk in the fullness of what God is calling you to do because you see the limitations of yourself, you know, <laughs> and once you really get into the work, but it's like, that's okay. You know, that is okay. Just have be, you know, be compassionate with yourself. You know, we're all on a journey of discovery. Yes. Just be open. Yeah. So, for people who are listening right now, because I want women and men to listen to this. I I love highlighting women because I feel like our stories are very unique. And a lot of times, even when we're called to something, sometimes we can be shut out of it, just depending on systems, structures, institutions. So I want men and women to listen to this because stories are powerful to hear. Um, how can people support you um, and where can they follow you? Um, is there anything you're working on that you want people to know about? Jesus. Okay. Well, people, my blog is under construction. This blog has been around since 2011. It's called throwupintheology.com. And the reason why it's called throwupintheology is because when I became a mother and I had an infant tied to me, 
I didn't know how I was going to, you know, be a minister and do all this stuff God called me to do because I had a baby and that baby had projectile vomit. So that's where the throat comes in in the theology. But that's where I've been blogging ever since, because it, when I was on maternity leave, that was where I, I felt like I was doing what God called me to do, writing, encouraging other people um, and just sharing what God was showing me. So throwupintheology.com is still under construction. There's a lot of content on it. There's sponsored content on it and my content. And I'm just, I'm working on it. We're on a new website, but they can follow me there. And then of course on Twitter, I'm most active on Twitter. And my handle is Rev Laurel J and it is Throw Up in Theology also. And so um, right now I really want to go into what I feel like God originally called me to do, which is writing. So I'm pitching some children's book ideas. And so I have a sermon that's being published next year um, it's called Preaching During a Pandemic, The Rhetoric of Black Preaching. And that's coming out next year. Um, and that's it. That's all I have working on right now. This pandemic has me like, look, I'm trying to get my mind right, my heart right. <laughs> my safe. Listen, I'm just trying to take it day by day. Like, yeah, day, I'm like, I just. I can't. <laughs> We've been home together, my whole family, me, my husband, and my two children. We've been home for over a year. So we've been working from home, having school from home. And so <laughs> I have not been writing a lot, but I'm getting back. <laughs> yes, that's, take your time. Like, <laughs> like, go to pace that you can, do what you can. Like, no yeah. pressure. Um, well, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast, for being open and vulnerable and sharing your story. Again, I feel like when we share our stories, it helps other people because oftentimes we can feel like we're by ourselves and then you start hearing the stories of others and it's like, I'm not by myself or it's just encouraging for you to just keep going. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the podcast and just being willing to share your journey with us. Thank you for having me. Of course, and to everybody who is listening and watching, please keep tuning in for more stories, more journeys. Thank you for tuning in to She Will Not Fall.